scripture on over your head. Let's, let's say our, um, our statement of faith. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I am a believer and not a doubter. A doer and not just a hearer. And my life and my life is the better after hearing, obeying, and applying a word from the Lord. Pastor asked me to come and talk today with all the things they have going on. He, he just wanted to have the opportunity to minister to his family. So he asked me to, to, to come up here today, and I, I wanted to honor him and what he's trying to teach, but I'm not a finance guy. You come to my house, I don't have a checkbook. I have one credit card that every time I run it, Wendy gets an email. She'll call me up, was you just at Fred's? Yeah. Get out. Now. Um, you're supposed to be at work. Uh, so having done that, I, I, really, I really didn't know what I could do to help continue that message. So as I started praying, God started reminding me of the way my finances used to be. Used to be if you didn't call, I didn't think you really wanted your money. Don't laugh at me. There's some of y'all like that too. And if you called too many times, I put you at the bottom of the list. Went to the bottom of the pile. There wasn't a list. It was just a pile. They went to the bottom. <laughs> Married Wendy. My credit score went up 50 points. <laughs> I'm better now. But it didn't take a minute. Anyway, the way I started thinking about my finances, the thing that I thought about, Pastor, you'll be happy. I couldn't find a video I like. But what kept running into my mind was a cattle stampede. Y'all remember the old westerns? The cattle stampeded through the town, tore up everything. That's the way my finances used to be. I was so broke, I couldn't pay attention. I still don't pay attention now, but it's not because I'm broke. So I wanted to come up in here, and I said, you know what? That's a good thing to talk about. Let's talk about cattle stampedes. But God really didn't lead me to talk about stampedes. What he led me to talk about was fences. Well, how do fences relate to stampedes? Well, if you got a good fence, you don't have a stampede. <laughs> so we wanted to talk about fences today. And, and the question come up, and this came up to me after the hurricane, after Zeta. Do I really need a fence? Robert Frost, in his poem, Mending Walls, said, good fences make good neighbors. You know why? Because it sets a border, a boundary. It keeps what's yours in and keeps what theirs out. You don't have to worry about your neighbor encroaching into your property because you got a fence there showing him where your property stops and his begins. But I'm really not talking about that kind of fence, though we will be. The kind of fence that I'm really talking about is more of a, a, a spiritual act than a physical thing. 
fences in this world are boundaries. They tell us how far we can go and where not to go. When I sell insurance for a home, the company sends out an inspection team. And this, this person goes to your house, and they, they measure your house, they take pictures of your house, they wander around looking for problems that might be in, in, in existence so that we can help you get them repaired. And believe me, I'm not coming out to repair. I'm just telling them they need to be. I ain't coming to your house. To f you don't want me to come to your house and fix stuff. We got a guy coming to our house. But whenever they call me and they're asking me for directions to a client's house, I always tell you, make sure you call. And you know what? Most of the time they don't. And every time I talk to them, I say, you know, you better call before you go. Because in this neighborhood, you go walking around somebody's property and you don't tell them you come and you just might get shot. And I'm not joking. We got people like Bull. He ain't in there. Ain't that right, Bull? Come walking around Bull's property, you see what he'll pull out on you. And it ain't going to be that vet. So anyway, the, count, the fences we're going to talk about are going to be mostly symbolic fences, boundaries. Ty, would you put that first picture up? When Wendy and I bought our house, we decided we wanted to put up a fence. That's not our fence, by the way. That, um, that's a nice-looking fence, well-built. The poles extend exactly the length they're supposed to be, not like ours, which is about two foot too short. Um, and, and it's well-made and well-built. Then Hurricane Zeta come along. And the next picture, that's what our fence looked like. Anybody else recognize that fence? <laughs> and then I had a man come out and give me an estimate for that fence. Now, you got to understand, we don't have the back. The back fence would belong to the other neighbor. All we got is two strips going down the side. And it's only the back part of our house. So it's only about 50 feet on either side, maybe 60. So the man came out and gave me an estimate. Would you believe he wanted $5,000 to put up that much fence? Needless to say, I don't have a fence. <laughs> Thankfully, my neighbor has a fence, <laughs> keeps his big German shepherds on their part of the yard, not in mine. What it doesn't do, though, is it doesn't keep Malibu from wandering off. <laughs> Malibu's my little puppy dog, and she likes to roll. No, I didn't put a picture of her up there. So if you would, turn to the book of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah talked about walls. He talked about building walls, and he talked about some good purposes for walls, so... We're going to talk a little bit about building walls. Now, you go to psychologists, they tell you walls are bad. You need to tear down your walls. Well, the fact is there are some walls that are bad. Walls that prevent you from having relationships, good, solid relationships with other people are bad. Walls that keep you from being the husband or wife or child or parent that you should be, those are bad walls. But there are certain walls that we have to look at as being good walls. Walls that are designed for a purpose, to protect, to set limits, 
Those are the kind of walls that we really want to talk about. Those are the fences, the boundaries that we want to talk about today. But before we can get there, we got to start with Nehemiah verse 3. In verse, uh, Nehemiah verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, They said to me, Those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and the gates have been burned with fire. So let me set the situation. Nehemiah's brother had gone on a trip to Jerusalem, him and some buddies, and they had just gotten back. And Nehemiah goes to him and he says, Hey man, what's going on? What's up with Jerusalem? And the brother said, It's bad. It's bad down there. It's worse than North Gulfport. Can I say that? I know God, Pastor does it all the time. Can I say it? <laughs> Chad said no. <laughs> it's worse than Pasagula. I'm from Pascoola. <laughs> it tore up. So Nehemiah, being the man that Nehemiah did, he started complaining. Why can't them people do nothing? Why ain't they got that wall built yet? They should have been down there working on that wall. Oh, no, no, that's not what Nehemiah did. I'm sorry. So Nehemiah, Nehemiah started uh, forming a committee. He said, we're going to get a committee together and we're going to discuss what we're going to do about Jerusalem. And the committee formed and it took about six months and they got, got a president elected who led the discussion and they started forming ideas and about five, six years later, no, 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 wait a minute, that wasn't what Nehemiah did either. <laughs> the next thing Nehemiah did was he started praying. The very first thing Nehemiah did was he started praying. Nehemiah heard there was a problem, and he reached out to God. So the first thing we need to do is we always need to pray. Now the next thing Nehemiah did, put up that next slide, Ty, or Chris, or whoever's doing it. Now I meant the, uh, the, the wall. Yeah, that one. This is actually from a really good movie called The Kingdom of Heaven. And what you're seeing here is the, uh, um, the army that's fighting against Jerusalem has just breached the wall for the first time. And Orlando Bloom is standing here in the middle of that hole looking out at the army fixing to attack him. If you can imagine that... But instead of the walls on either side of him, all of that's gone too. But standing there like that, looking out over that group of people there coming at you, do you stop and realize that you might have a problem? You know what the problem is? Some of us don't. Some of us think those guys coming are coming to help us. Some of us think we can manipulate them guys coming and get what we want instead of them getting what they want. 
Some of us think we can use them. Now, you notice I said us, right? Because that's the way I used to think, too. Back in the old days, if I needed money, there was always somebody I could twist or talk or steal in order to get it. So finances were never a big concern to me. My statement was always, I'll make more tomorrow. But there does come a time when you can't make more tomorrow. And all them bills come due. So do you recognize that you do have a problem? Look, I know that many of you sitting in here are financially stable. And I'm proud of you for it. That's an awesome thing. Give yourself a hand. But let me also caution you. There could be things going on that you're not paying that much attention to that could make that wall fall. So keep an eye out. You've got to station a guard on the wall to make sure nobody's coming against you. And you need to station a guard on your finances. But let's face facts. There's also some of us in this room that we ain't got no walls. They just coming and taking whatever they want from us. They done beat us down so bad we ain't got no defenses left, so we just give up. We ain't never going to get out the hole we in. But let me tell you something, that ain't true. That's not a true statement. First of all, you can marry a wife that knows how to manage money. Look, my solution ain't the solution for everybody, okay? <laughs> but that's one. But there's always a solution. There's always a way out. The thing is, you've got to find it. And until you first of all recognize that there really is a problem, you ain't going to get better. Now, put up that recognize you got a problem. Y'all see what that is? For us old farmers in the yard, that's called a pigsty. Y'all remember the story in scripture about the prodigal son? He, he woke up in the pigsty, found out he was eating the same slop the pigs were. You know what the problem is, though? People get used to this. This becomes not a bad spot, not a, 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 a temporary situation, but it becomes a permanent way of life. We get used to it. And matter of fact, we get so used to it that sometimes even the thought of getting up and getting out is scary. How do you know that, Jeff? You ain't never been in my spot. Well, you don't know what spots I've been in. I don't know your spot. Not going to claim to know your spot. But you don't know what spots I've been in. And I've lived in that pigsty. 
well, not that one, but one like it. I've lived in spots where it just seemed like there was never going to ever be any hope. But let me tell you, there is hope. That hope comes in the form of a man called Jesus Christ. That's why we always start with prayer. But when we pray, we've got to come to the understanding that we've got an issue. If we don't have an issue, what's the point? There ain't no point in changing anything if we don't have an issue, if we don't have a problem. If we don't live in a place like that, why would we want to move out? But the problem comes when you start thinking that a place like that is the palace. A pigsty does not equal a palace. And look, though we're applying this specifically to financial problems, it could be drugs, alcohol, depression, uh, uh, self-loathing, eating disorders, womanizing, manizing. Is there manizing? Is that a word? There's some women that run around chasing and abusing men, just like there are women that run, I mean men that run around abusing and chasing women. The problem is with that, that's still an emotional struggle. It's both sides of that story is a problem. I spent eight years living by myself. Well, I wasn't really living by myself. I was living with about 40 other men. Not trying to find a woman. And I said many times, if God is still working on me, he's trying to teach me to live with the men. And if I can't learn to live with them, how am I ever going to learn to live with a woman? Men at least think we're right. I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean right, I meant alike. Almost got in trouble there, Deke. <laughs> Deke said, I don't know you. <laughs> men at least think alike. If I can't get along with a bunch of men, how am I ever going to get along with a woman? Then I met my beautiful wife. And God taught me that it wasn't just me he was working on. <laughs> Pastor taught me bad things, huh? I shouldn't be talking about my wife like that. He taught me to do that. And look, just because I didn't mention your pigsty didn't mean, don't mean you don't need to be thinking about it. I'm clear he didn't bring up mine. No, I just couldn't think about it. That's probably one I didn't, two, three, 20. So in Nehemiah verses uh, four, he said, I sat down and wept. And for days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. But the great thing is once we start praying, God starts moving. Everything we start doing, we should start praying. When you start inviting God into the situation, then you're starting to give up trying to control the situation. When you give up trying to control the situation, you'd be amazed at what God can do in it. Let me ask you a question. Sticking with finances, though again it can apply to any of these other ones, you've been messing up your money for so long, what makes you think you're going to get yourself out? 
Maybe, maybe you just need to start talking to God. See what God's idea with your money is. You know what God told me when I started talking to him about my money? Don't worry your pretty little head. Wendy about to fall out of her chair because she's the one that said it. <laughs> but it was God talking. He said, you can't handle money. Don't worry about it. And then in um, chapter 2, verse 4, the king asked, he said, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. And I was very much afraid. And the reason, the reason he's very much afraid is because you've got to remember his job is to serve the king. And he comes before the king and he's disheartened. He's trying to put up a good front, but the fact is he really feels bad about what's going on in Jerusalem. And the king saw him. Now we really don't understand the concept of what I'm fixing to say. You really have to stop and consider and think and pray for revelation about what I'm fixing to say. We're talking about a king who is considered to be God. His slightest whim is rule. There is no justice other than him. So if he, you say or do something he doesn't like, you can be executed at the spot. There's no trial. There's no appeal. There's no going to jail. Executed immediately. So now the king, who you're supposed to be making happy, has noticed you're not happy. What's wrong with you, boy? You messed up. What's wrong? And he turns around and he says, okay. <laughs> but you got to be careful because God orchestrates situations. God is the one in control. You already been praying, right? You're praying asking God to do something, right? Maybe he's working. And in this particular case, he is. God's caused the king to take notice. So Nehemiah explains to him what's going on. And the king says, hey man, that's a good idea. Why don't you go take care of that? How long are you going to be gone? So Nehemiah set a time frame. And the king says, yeah, you go do that. You go do it. And then Nehemiah Nehemiah says in, chapter, or in verse 7, chapter 2, he said, I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the, city, for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. So not only has God provided a way for him to go and do something, God gave him boldness to ask for what he needed. 
And you know what? That's the next thing we need to do. We need to ask sometimes for help. Yeah, you got you into this mess. But are you going to stay there? Maybe you need a little helping hand. Maybe you need a little leg up. There are good organizations out there to help. There's some bad ones. But there's some good organizations. We have a couple of people in this church who can help you work on your credit. Pastor, at least once a year, does the Dave Ramsey financial seminar. So you can learn to better control your money. You know what I always thought was the best way to do stuff? Pay off the biggest bill first. That's completely opposite of the way it really should be. What you should do is pay off the smallest bill first. Because then you can take the money you were using to pay it off, add it to another one of your bills, pay it off, the next smallest. Then you can take the money from them too, add it to the third smallest. And then before you know it, you got like six or eight of them paid off. And you can start working on that big one. Totally contrary to what I would do. But it's exactly what were taught in the Dave Ramsey school. You'd be amazed at what happens when you start asking. You get bold. You step out on faith. Probably took bold steps to get out, to get into the mess. <laughs> Probably need to take bold steps to get out of it. And you'll be amazed. Watch what God does. Look, look at God put people in your life that will help you with this. Now, it's important. We need to make sure we're dealing with what Pastor has called proven wise godly counsel. It's been talked about a lot in this church. You want to make sure that the people that you talk to have proven what they're talking about. Don't go to somebody broke trying to figure out how not to be broke. You know what somebody broke is going to teach you to do? Be broke. Somebody, find somebody that got something, and I'm not talking about stuff. Everybody can have, somebody can have stuff and still be broke. Find somebody that you see donating. Because if you're donating, that means you got what you need and extra that you can give to somebody else in need. Now, I'm not saying go ask them for something. I'm saying go ask them how they got there. Ask them to give you some advice on how to get out of the hole you in. You'll be amazed at how much that people want to help most. But be wise. When you go talk to folks, don't talk to people of the world. Talk to people of God. The people, thank you, the people of the world is going to give you advice of the right. People of God are going to give you godly advice. 
You don't need no more worldly advice. The world tells you spend more money. I never understood that. They give you these, uh, um, these places that are going to help fix your debt, and they charge you to do it. Well, if I had the money to pay you, I wouldn't be in debt. Really, that's why AA doesn't work. <laughs> you can't talk to other addicts about not being an addict anymore. You've got to talk to people about God so you don't get to be an addict anymore. <laughs> addicts are only going to teach you how to be a better addict. Broke folks is only going to teach you how to be broke. And what's worse, I will get to that in a minute. Sometimes you gotta 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 look above the station you're in. Does that make sense? Now, now I'm gonna steal um, steal a word here. You ain't gotta be bougie, but look, you can't be an eagle and hang with pigeons. You want to be an eagle, you got to soar with the eagles. Keep hanging out with the pigeons. See how high you get. Be hanging out down there by, uh, I can't remember the name, uh, Mary Mahoney's. Be hanging out down there by Mary Mahoney's trying to get biscuits from people in the morning. So Nehemiah, verse 2, chapter 12. Here's a really great thing. You know, Nehemiah went to Jerusalem. We don't hear nothing about the story. It's just he's there with the king one minute, and next minute he's over in Jerusalem. So it must have been a really uneventful trip, but he also had passes from everybody, so nobody was going to mess with him. So he gets to Jerusalem. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there. Come on, time. He doesn't tell anybody why he's there. He just shows up. Hey, man. And then one night after he's been there a couple of days, they go wandering around the city. And here's what they're doing. In, verse cha in, in, in chapter 2, verse 12, it says, By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So now he comes out and he starts scoping things out. So the next thing we need to do when we're dealing with our rebuilding, we got to have a self-examination. Just like, just like Nehemiah had to go out and examine what the damage to the walls were, we got to start examining the damage that we've created. Okay? I love this statement, open and honest self-examination. The problem with the open and honest self-examination is you can't think too highly of yourself, but also don't think too lowly. There's nobody that's all good or all bad. You may have done some bad things, but you're not a bad person. If, you're dry, if you've been saved, born again, trying to move ahead, we can put the bad things behind us. 
Now, let's not deny them. Let's not hide them. Let's not run from them. Because we can't address them if we don't get better. Do you like to write bad checks? Don't take your checkbook nowhere. Put it up at the house. Give it to your mama, unless she likes to write bad checks. If your mama likes to write bad checks, don't give it to your mama. Give it to First Lady. She don't write bad checks. And then every time you come to First Lady wanting a check so you can write something, you got to explain to her, you'd be surprised how fast your money stays in that bank. I told this story in the men's group. They all laughed at me. They didn't know I was serious. Me and Wendy get up every Sunday morning. I don't want to go to church. Well, neither do I. Well, you call First Lady and tell her. No, you call Pastor and tell her. That's how come we end up here all the time. <laughs> neither one of us want to call. So what relationships do you need to work at repairing? What limits do you need to set? What fences do you need to build so that you know where your boundary is? This is what self-examination is going to do. Are there people you need to cut out of your life? Your friend that come by wanting you to go party all the time? That's where your money go. I was watching this movie the other day. Guy walked into a bar, ordered a drink, gave the man $20 for one drink. And walked off. I'm sitting going, $20 for a drink? I'm glad I don't go party no more. I could never afford it. Wendy, don't give me that kind of money. I get one drink a week. <laughs> Do you need to leave your credit cards at home? Do you need to lock them and give somebody else the key? <laughs> anyway, when you get done with your self-examination, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19, it says, When Sanballat the Hornite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you were doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? So let me tell you something. Not everybody's out to help you. Okay? You got to be careful who you do go with. That's why I keep saying proven godly counsel. You know what the word proven means? They've accomplished something positive. Not negative. There are people that we allow to help us make decisions that are proven to not be capable of helping with those decisions. But we keep going to them. Why? Find different people. You know, there's people that are um, not going to be happy because you made decisions to do something different. Them friends that come by to get you to go party, you know why they get you to go party? Because they broke, they want you to pay for it. Them friends you got 
that's always happy to go shopping with you, they're happy to help you spend your money. Because you probably spend some of it on them when you go. <laughs> oh, you got to have them shoes. Fine shoes. And you know what? There's other people that benefit by you being down. There's a lot of people in this world who gain their own self-worth and self-respect by looking at how bad you are. You know what the last thing them folks want? It's for you to look good. Because if you look good, it's going to expose their faults. And they don't want that. So they're going to keep you down. They're going to make you continue to look bad. So when you start trying to look good, they're going to help you look bad. And then now, now, now finally we get to a spot where we, uh, we're going to start doing something. Nehemiah chapter 3 verse 2, it says, The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zechariah son of Emery built the next to him. Verse 3 says, the fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasananah. Na, 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 sorry. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Uh, Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hazkaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulamum, son of Bechariah, the son of Meshizazel, uh, made repairs, and next to him, Zadok, son, and Zadok, isn't that a bad guy from the comics? Zadok, son of Banana, that's what it says. It says Banana. Also made repairs. So what is this telling us? A pastor friend of mine told me, you know how you say them words? Fast. <laughs> and you know what the really cool thing is? The, 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 the scriptures were written in a language that's dead now, so nobody really knows how they pronounced it. They guess. So if they don't pronounce it the way I do, they're wrong. You need to build a team. Jeff, why do you need to build a team? Well, let's face facts. One individual may not always have time to deal with you. You're pretty needy. You know, you need a lot, don't you? Need a lot of help. Probably not as much as me. I probably need more help. But the fact is, it took more than one person to help me. When I was going through Teen Challenge, I was assigned a counselor. And I spoke to that counselor. But there were other problems that I had that I sometimes saw others had overcome, so would I just deal with that one counselor who maybe never had that kind of problem? Maybe I need to deal with this other one over here. I had one. I had one. I don't know if y'all know it or not, but I, I, I used to have anger problems. I, I, oh, I had really bad anger problems. And when I was in Teen Challenge one time, we were getting ready to go out and pick apples in the apple orchard, and uh, um, this young man couldn't have been 18, 19 years old, had done something completely moronish. I mean, utterly stupid. Funny, but stupid. And the staff member in charge of us all getting ready to go to the apple orchard 
looked at that guy and dressed him down like you ain't never seen nobody dressed down before. I thought he was going to chew that guy's head off. And I'm standing on the very edge of the um, formation there. And I seen the guy turn around. And when he turned around, he was about to bust out laughing. And what everybody thought was wrath and anger was simply an act to try and jerk this guy back into line. But he thought it was just as funny as the rest of us. And I said, you know what? That's a guy that's had anger problems, but he's overcome them. And now he uses anger as a tool. I need to talk to him. So I made an appointment with him. Him and I went and sat down. And we spent about an hour and a half talking about anger. And he gave me some pointers. And he actually gave me a, a suggestion on something I had to do. I had to go and forgive somebody for something they had done to me. And the problem was they, I had done much worse to them. But I had to go tell them that I had forgiven them. Which I didn't think was right but it was the first step in making my anger issues better. Now, here's, here's the problem with having a multitude of counsel. The Bible says there's a wisdom in the multitude of counsel. The problem is, guys at Mercy House, they like to do this. They'll go and ask one person a question, and they don't get the answer they want. So they'll shift the information around just a little bit and ask somebody else. They don't get the answer they like there. So they shift the information around just a little more and go to a third person. May or may not get what they like there. And if they don't, they're going to shift it just a little bit more to now that the fourth person It's not as recognizable as what the first one really said. But here they get the answer they want. And that's the one they go with. So if you've got four counselors and three of them tell you, well, no, and one says, yeah, oh, I'm going to do what that one said. Maybe that's not the best idea. Maybe you need to stop and pray a little bit, at least stop and wait a little bit. I'm not saying it's possible that one's listening to God and the other three aren't. I'm not saying that. You might have caught them in the middle of something. They didn't have time to do it. They just give you an answer. But I'm saying it should at least be enough for you to pause before you do anything. Doesn't do any good to have counselors if you don't listen to what they're telling you. So gain the wisdom that they've got for you. You'll be amazed at how wise some of the people you have in your life already are. You just don't pay attention to them. I tell my daughter all the time, I say, you need to listen to your mother more. Your mother's very wise. I've learned that if I'd have listened to my mom, I'd have done a lot better than I ended up doing. <laughs> but the problem is, we resist doing things like handing our checkbook or credit cards to somebody else. I'm a man. I handle the finances in my house. Well, how's that worked out for you so far? Maybe you should be the man and step up and say, look, I ain't good at this. Maybe you need to. 
We, we got some wives in this, this building that are phenomenal with finances. And if yours ain't one of them and you ain't one of them, maybe you should get somebody outside the family to help you. There's music in my ears. I think they're trying to tell me I'm out of time. No, we really keep doing the same thing and we keep getting the same answers. Maybe it's time to do something different. Verse, uh, four, chapter 4, verse 7 says, When Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashad heard what was that the repairs in Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. Let me tell you something. People are going to be mad. And you're going to have trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have what? Problems. That's what that word means. You're going to have problems. But he said, don't worry about it. Matter of fact, be happy about it. Because I've overcome this world. Paul said, light and momentary afflictions. Isn't it great to know that, that this is just a few minutes? A million years into forever, this is just going to be a bat of the eye. This entire life. So these are just momentary afflictions. And especially if you start doing things to get yourself out of them. You know, just because one more thing pops up, you're out paying the bills, and all of a sudden one you never even remembered pops back up. God in heaven is sitting there going, man, I forgot about that one. I didn't even think that one was going to come back on us. That's not what God said. God said he got it. He knew it was coming. That doesn't change the way you're doing it. You keep doing what you've been doing. And then in Nehemiah 6.15, it says the wall was completely completed on the 25th of Elul in, the 20, in 52 days. This is a miraculous work in a short period of time. I can't tell you how long God's going to take to get you out of your financial problems. I can't tell you how long God's going to take to get you out of your addiction. I can't tell you how long He's going to take you to get out of any of the struggles that you're working on. But I can tell you, the biggest block in him accomplishing it is you. The people of Jerusalem didn't get a wall built in 52 days by sitting around complaining. They got up and did something. And it was hard work. I mean, they talk about men carrying stuff with swords at their side. You're talking about one person working and one person holding a spear and a shield over the top of them. And they swap off. It's effort and struggle to get something done. Especially something worthwhile. And let me tell you something. Financial gain, financial freedom is something that's very worthwhile. If you've never had the opportunity to write a check just because it was needed, to put in a cash app just because it was needed, and I'm not talking 
$20. To be able to write a $1,000 check just because there's a need. To write a $500 check because somebody needs something in the church. That's an amazing feeling. It's awesome to be able to do that. Thanks to my beautiful wife handling the finances, I've had the opportunity to do that before. I've had the opportunity to make donations that I never would have believed. I mean, I remember back in, the, in, the, in days whenever I had $10 in my pocket and God said, put it in an offering plate, and me and him argued for 20 minutes about it. He won, but we still argued for 20 minutes. But the fact is, it's an amazing opportunity for your children when you have the ability to be able to do things like that. To teach them the financial freedom that maybe your parents didn't teach you. To teach you to be free from whatever struggle it is that you've had all your life. That your parents had all their life. But you don't have to pass that on. But it is going to take work. There's effort that is going to have to be made. There are things that are going to have to be done. And as pastor gets ready to come forward, because he's going to close us out here. As he gets ready to come forward, I'm just going to ask you one quick question. Who needs help from God to do something? Whether it's finances or whether it's anything, you know, just, just raise your hand up. There's a lot of us in here that need help from God. But let me ask you, what effort are you willing to put into it too? Because you can sit there and pray for God to do all of it. But that ain't the deal. There are times when God miraculously makes things happen, but I have a feeling if that was going to happen so far, you would have already done it. Instead, what happens is that God expects us to start moving, and then He can direct us which way. You ever had to push a car because it was out of gas? It's not fun, is it? Especially if it's uphill, around a curve. Some of y'all got God trying to push y'all uphill without no gas, around a curve, with the brakes on, with a wall in front of you. Not a good wall, bad wall. Maybe you ought to take your foot off the brake. Maybe if you tried to steer it straight downhill instead, maybe then God could actually do something. The only people that limits God in your life is you. Nobody else stops God. Nobody. Only you. So Father, I thank you and I praise you. I'm grateful, Lord, that you're teaching me more and more about what I need to do. And Father, more and more it's just go to you get your opinion on what needs to do and then move forward. Father, I pay a blessing upon each of these people. I pray that you would work in the life, in the area of the life that they mentioned when they raised their hand, that they thought of. But more importantly, Lord, 
I prayed that you would work in them. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.